better. Make the we, world better. You are now tuned in to allrealradio.com, where we make the world better. Good afternoon, Houston. It is another lovely fucking day. Oh my god. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Um, yes, I got here way early and I just vibed outside for a little bit. And it was nice because like, you know, the summer you just, at least I in the summer just stay inside unless I'm going to the beach. Um, there's no reason to go outside, but now there is, and it's just so nice. Um, yeah. So, this is Sam Osu, your unconventional journalist, reporting every Saturday at 1.30 at the intersections of class, race, and gender, and the movements that fight back. So, I've got quite the lineup for you guys today. Uh, <laughs> this is the spooky edition. Happy Halloween. I love Halloween. Halloween is the best time of the year. Um, I, I love Halloween. That's when I like break out in like all of my crazy clothes that I have. I don't like dress up as one thing or another. I just have a whole bunch of weird clothes and jewelry and I just go nuts with it over Halloween weekend. So um. I always look forward to this time of year where I can just be completely batshit weird and no one blinks an eye because it's Halloween. Um, at some point, I'll be more comfortable with it and just wear my clothes always, but I'm not there yet. Um, all right, so I have some things lined up. We are going to just kind of go over it real quick and then have a music break. So we are going to kick it off with a Florida man. <laughs> Don't you love stories from Florida? They're always a little kooky. This one is a lot more spooky. I did not mean for that to rhyme, but it did. 
So we're going to talk about this Florida man, and then we're going to talk about government surveillance and how the government is cracking down on domestic terrorism. And we're going to unpack uh, (laughs) how we wish that would be a good thing. And then after that, we're going to bring it to Texas. I don't know if you guys knew this, but there is voting happening right now in Texas and locally. It is not primaries. You can vote straight ticket. But there are some uh, proposed amendments to the state constitution that you need to be aware of. So we're going to go over that. And then we're going to wrap it up by bringing it back home. Um, There are some things happening at home. Good things. uh, I'm not going to do too much with like (laughs) the uh, Houston mayor debacle with the whole housing thing. Um, But there are some other things that I'll go over with you guys. So that is the lineup. We're going to go back to some music curated by All Real Radio and then we'll dive right back into it. And we're back. We are going to kick it off with this Florida man story. Um, <laughs> so usually Florida man stories are something outrageous where, you know, there's like a Florida man, like, I don't know, having sex with an alligator or something stupid. Um, but 
<laughs> Today's Florida story is a little more sinister, uh, keeping in with the spooky edition of this report. This report is from The Intercept. The author is Natasha Leonard. A Florida anarchist will spend years in prison for online post prompted by January 6th riot. Daniel Baker's calls for armed defense against possible far-right attacks led to a much harsher sentence than that facing most insurrectionists. A Florida judge sentenced Baker, an anti-fascist activist, to 44 months in federal prison for social media posts that called for armed defense against possible far-right attacks on the state's capital in the wake of the January 6th riots. Baker, a 34-year-old yoga teacher and emergency medical technician trainee, had no previous criminal convictions and has already been held for 10 months of harsh pretrial detention, including seven months in solitary confinement. He never brought a weapon near the government building. He amassed no armed anti-fascist forces. He made no threats on a single individual. Baker, nonetheless, faces considerably more prison time than most January 6th defendants, including those who cross state lines, small arsenals in tow, with the aim of overturning a presidential election. It goes without saying that the U.S. federal court is no place to appeal to the ethical grounds for militant anti-fascist resistance, yet Baker, while prone to hyperbolic and sometimes paranoid rhetoric, were certainly not alone in fearing that there could be a January 6th style events in state houses nationwide ahead of Joe Biden's inauguration and that local police could hardly be trusted. The FBI warned of the potential for armed protests at state capitals. Florida is home to over 60 far-right white supremacist and neo-Nazi groups recognized by the Southern Poverty Law Center, and there are well-reported links between Florida police departments and far-right militia. Here is a quote from Baker. The American government has chosen to side with the white supremacists, except when their own bureaucracy forces them to prosecute the most blatant of offenders. I'll bite gently. Baker says they criticized me for supporting Black Lives Matter, feminist liberation ideologies, global revolutionary movements, and direct democracy. The government has made its stance clear throughout my hearings. The overall message people will get from this is that online speech calling for militant anti-fascist action will send you to prison for much longer than actually taking militant action with fascists. During his sentencing hearing on Tuesday, Baker's attorney highlighted the case of a Georgia man who drove to Washington, D.C. with guns and ammunition and sent private texts threatening to shoot Rep. Nancy Pelosi in the head. The Trump acolyte had missed the storming of the Capitol by one day due to car trouble. Like Baker, he was charged with the interstate communication of threats. Unlike Baker, he had a history of hideous, racist online speech and direct threats, and unlike Baker, he could leave prison soon. He will be sentenced in December and faces between six months to two years in prison. His eight months of pretrial detention will count as time served. Taking into account time served, meanwhile, Baker will spend another 34 months, almost three years, in prison. Brad Thompson, civil rights attorneys at the People's Law Office, said, 
Um, and he does not represent Baker. He said, Dan's case speaks volumes about how the state represses the left much differently than it treats the far right. Here, Dan was sentenced to three and a half years for online posts opposing another January 6th incident. But for actual participants from January 6th, we are seeing charges and sentences far below that. Every case is unique, but the overall message people will get from this is that online speech calling for militant anti-fascist action will send you to prison for much longer than actually taking militant action with fascists. So I want you to um, know about this because, you know, last week, uh, I think if I remember right, we talked about some of the January 6th insurrection it continues to be a talking point for everybody this year because it's just like, what the actual fuck? But I need you to know that uh, the result of the insurrection is further crackdown on leftist movements. Um, this was not a fun Florida man screws an alligator story. No, 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 no. It's a Florida man anarchist is spending years in prison for online posts. Um, yes. So there, there is some, you know, keeping in this theme of spooky edition for this report, I'm focusing on government surveillance. Um, and I know it's going to get very, um, depressing, but by the end of this, uh, report, there is a group who is fighting back and has information for you. So please, as I continue on, don't despair. Hang on. <laughs> I want to tell you all these things. Um, but I do want you to be aware that there's people fighting back. So Vice reported, uh, uh, Vice reported, here is the FBI's internal guide for getting data from AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon. This is by Joseph Cox. Uh, the newly obtained document shows in granular detail the sort of data the country's carriers keep and for how long. Um, this one is, is real fun. We're going to go through each mobile carrier and how long they keep your data and what data they keep. A newly obtained document written by the FBI lays out in unusually granular detail how it and other law enforcement agencies can obtain location information of phones from telecommunication companies. Oh, and before you like say, we'll just get a burner phone, they have taken that into accountability. <laughs> so burner phones just don't really work right now. Um, much of the information reiterates what we already knew about law enforcement access to telecommunications data, how officials can request location data from a telecom with a warrant or use court orders to obtain other information on a phone user. But the document does provide insights on what exactly each carrier collects. So we are going to go through this real quick. I'm scrolling down. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Okay, so <laughs> provider retention periods. So the providers we're looking at is AT&T, Cricket, which is also owned by AT&T, T-Mobile, Metro PCS, owned by T-Mobile, Sprint, Verizon, and U.S. Cellular. So there's different things on here. Subscriber, call detail records, cell site, uh, text, cell site, uh, text content, cell site data, Power dumps, perspective, 
Wi-Fi calling, store video, voicemail, cloud storage, and internet browsing. So AT&T holds your text messages, your call detail records, your subscriber records, um, and cell site data for seven years. All of your text messages, they hold it for seven years. There's no Wi-Fi. They don't hold anything for Wi-Fi calling. Um, Any cloud storage and internet browsing is also captured under AT&T. That's not including Google. We're going to get to Google here in a little bit. Um, Cricket? uh, Theirs is a little weird. Like... For their call detail records, it says from like December 2015 to present. So anything between 2015 and now, they have. Um, same thing with uh, the video, the cloud storage, and the internet web browsing. T-Mobile, they hold it for two years. They hold all of that major data for two years. Um. And they don't hold any cloud storage or internet web browsing. Metro PCS is the same thing. They have the same thing as T-Mobile, which is, you know, kind of interesting because Cricket is owned by AT&T. So you would think they would have the same like seven year, one year thing that main AT&T has, but they don't. In this case with Metro PCS, they, they do. Sprint holds your data your SA, your uh, text messages and cell site data for 18 months. They hold your voicemail data for 20 days. And uh, internet web browsing, they don't do it. Um, Verizon is a year. Uh, they hold your text message stuff for seven days. And they hold internet web browsing content for 187 days. That's oddly specific. <laughs> um, and then U.S. Cellular, they hold data for a year, and they don't hold any data from internet browsing. So AT&T, like, they are holding everybody's data for a very long time. And this document... Like I'll I'll link this document for you guys um, when I upload this audio to Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'll have these links for you to go through. Um, but the way they categorize and they get these um, all of this data is just through warrants and subpoenas and things like that. Um, so all of this information is very much. Um, is very much accessible (laughs) and they hold it for such a long time. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. There's this one thing that I wanted to show you guys. Okay. So this, this document is written by the FBI's cellular analysis survey team. CAS supports the FBI as well as state, local, and tribal law enforcement investigations through the analysis of call data and tower information. That can include obtaining data from telecommunication companies in the first place, analyzing tower dumps that can show which phones are in approximate location at a given time, providing expert witness testimony, and performing drive tests to verify the actual coverage of a cell tower. This is uh, really important. You're like, okay, you know, location data, whatever. 
Well, I mean, were you at the Black Lives Matter protests? <laughs> if Dan Baker, this Florida anarchist, got, you know, over three years plus a solitary confinement that he's already gone through for posting online, them using your location data, even if you were around these protests, is like, <laughs> they're spying on us. Um, okay. So we're going to move on to Google. The FBI has ordered Google to hand over the search history in identifying user information of anyone who searches for certain words on Google. The list of illegal words has not been revealed yet. These are called keyword warrants. With keyword warrants, the FBI is now actively targeting thought crime in the truest Stasi fashion. Trawling through Google's search history database enables FBI to identify people merely based on what they might have been thinking, um, said Jennifer at Granick of LCOU. This never-before-possible technique destroys the Bill of Rights and will inevitably sweep up innocent people, especially if the keyword terms are not unique and the time frame not precise. To make things worse, the FBI are doing this in secret. This was a leaked document on these keyword warrants. The FBI nor Google are yet to comment on how often these searches are done or what the illegal words are that will get you targeted by the FBI. In targeting thought crime, the FBI and Google have merged ever closer to operating as a single authoritarian national police force who target the mind sentiments and basic intellectual curiosities of everyday Americans. You can type one word into Google and you may be targeted. I do encourage you to use DuckDuckGo. That is what I use. It is a very simple switch. It's not hard. Um... So this information that I'm telling you about comes from the Daily Mail, Natasha Anderson. Um, Feds order Google to track people searching certain names or details. Uh, This controversial practice, which is already drawing civil liberties concerns about sweeping government overreach, was revealed Tuesday. Um, This was a little while ago, though. It was uh, earlier in October. Um in accidentally unsealed court documents obtained by Forbes. (laughs) So I just want you to know, these two documents that we are going over right now, the uh, FBI's internal guide for getting data and this, um, this document on keyword warrants, these are both leaked documents, right? So it's not like any of this is transparent for people to just get. These are... These are leaked. Um, oh, that was my phone. Scam likely. They know I'm talking about them. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, spooky. All right. Um, so I just want you to know about these things. Um, it's uncomfortable to talk about and... You know, I can hear some of my more liberal friends saying, well, you know, if you have nothing to hide, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Well, (laughs) let's unpack that a little bit. Okay, so let's say, um, right, so Donald Trump was president there for a hot second. And he was targeting, like, liberals. Um, I think... Anybody 
nobody would want this sort of censorship put upon them, um, this sort of surveillance put upon them. You would think that this surveillance would be used against actual neo-Nazis like the January 6th or the Unite the Right riot that happened, um, was it like three, four years ago now? Um, but that's not the case, right? That's not the case. Um, as we just talked about with this Florida anarchist. <laughs> um, so right now we have, I don't consider Joe Biden to be a Democrat. I consider him to be a Republican. That man is conservative. Um, but a lot of people see him as as a liberal and feel comfortable under his administration. Um, but I want you to know that this year in June, this comes from uh, this specific report comes out of Common Dreams by Kenny Stancil. Disturbing U.S. military documents put socialists in the same category as neo-Nazis. Okay. The U.S. document put socialists in the same category as neo-Nazis. So let's say like you're a liberal and you, um, you are sympathetic to the Black Lives Matter movement. Maybe you don't practice anti-racism every day like you should be doing, uh, but you are sympathetic to the movement. That alone can categorize you as a socialist and lump you in with neo-Nazis. So even though you may not be doing anything wrong and you don't have anything to hide, you are still going to be lumped in if you are sympathetic to these movements, if you're sympathetic to like the line three movement, right? Where indigenous communities are working to stop these oil pipelines. Anything that directly goes against the state and threatens the state's capital will lump you in as a terrorist. Um, so please understand that. <laughs> All right. So we're going to read this common dreams article. This is the Kenny Stancil. I'm going to read the headline for you again. Disturbing U.S. military document puts socialists in same category as neo-Nazis. The Navy's new counterterrorism training guide says that socialists are political terrorists just like neo-Nazis. A new military, this is from June, I just want to say, uh, this article. A new military training document obtained exclusively by The Intercept places socialists in the same terrorist ideological category as neo-Nazis, worsening long-standing progressive fears that federal crackdown on domestic terrorism will just as likely be used to target leftists who want a truly democratic society as to thwart far-right extremists who favor racist authoritarianism. And I just want... Excuse me. I just want to side note, you know, this says truly democratic society. Um, anyone who's bit like, you know, we live in a democracy. Uh, no, we don't. <laughs> how are you going to tell me? Uh, how are you going to look at like last year's protests? How are you going to look at how our country has treated black and brown people for decades and tell me that's democratic? There's nothing democratic about our government. Um Journalist Ken Klipstein, uh, a recipient of the linked counterterrorism training material, reported that the Navy's new guide includes the following question. Anarchist, socialists, and neo-Nazis represent which terrorist ideological category? 
The correct answer is political terrorists, according to Klipstein, who was informed on the matter by an unnamed military source familiar with the training. Klipstein noted that in the document titled Introduction to Terrorism Terrorist Operations is part of a longer training manual recently decimated by the Naval Education Training and Command's Navy Tactical Training Center in conjunction with the Center for Security Forces. The military told him that the training is designed for masters at arms, the Navy's internal police. According to Klipstein, the military official who is not authorized to speak publicly described the training as ineffective. Whoever is directing the Navy anti-terror, anti-terror curriculum would rather vilify the left than actually protect anything, the unnamed official said, despite the fact that the most prominent threat is domestic right-wing terror. And, I mean, look at all the gun shootings that's been happening. These, all the gun shootings that happen in the U.S. are all done by white men who are right-wing extremists. But for some reason, our government has authorized to implement training documents for the U.S. Navy to target socialists, anarchists, and anybody on the left. While socialists, including Senator Bernie Sanders, who received nearly 23 million votes in the Democratic Party's presidential primaries in 2016 and 2020 combined, typically want to expand democracy beyond the political sphere into the economic realm, neo-Nazis seek to exterminate people of color, people with disabilities, and other individuals deemed undesirable. Yet, according to the Navy's counterterrorism training manual, socialists pursuing more egalitarian society that would benefit the vast majority of the world's population are tantamount to neo-Nazis advocating for a genocidal dictatorship led by eugenicists. So I want you to know that according to the U.S. military, they also included people like Gandhi, W.E.B. Du Bois, Dorothy Day, Woody Guthrie, Albert Einstein, and Martin Luther King as terrorists. I mean, they killed MLK. Uh, They killed Malcolm X. Helen Keller, man. So I remember learning when, um, like I only learned this maybe like four years ago. Helen Keller was like a staunch communist, guys. Like, um... She was an abolitionist. She was she was on it. Um, and our military considers her a terrorist and class washes her in our history classes. Um, but these are all people who are considered terrorists under our government. And for those of you saying, well, you know, all these, um, you know, the government can spy on me because I have nothing to hide. Um, I really want you to think about MLK. Think about Albert Einstein. Think about Helen Keller. <laughs> um, they weren't. They didn't do anything wrong. They just challenged the state. That was all they did. <sighs> all right. Coming back to this uh, article. As uh, Klipstein wrote, this is a journalist that got this document, 
Both the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security have identified white supremacists as the deadliest terror threat to the U.S. In October 2020, the Department of Homeland Security issued its first annual Homeland Threat Assessment Report, stating that white supremacists were exceptionally lethal and remain the most persistent and lethal threat in the homeland. In September, FBI Director Christopher Wray and testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee said that white supremacists have been responsible for the most lethal attacks over the last decade, and they comprise the biggest chunk of our domestic terrorism portfolio. Meanwhile, Klebstein asserted that the corporate media has largely overlooked how the government's efforts to neutralize domestic terrorism opens the door for widespread violations of leftist constitutional rights with legitimate calls for the downworld redistribution of wealth and power. While the right has been vocal with its concerns about being unfairly targeted for political opinions, Klipstein wrote, media coverage of the Biden administration's focus on domestic extremism has paid considerably less attention to what might mean for movements on the left, including Black Lives Matter or anti-fascists and the environmental movement. The USA's terrorist campaign against socialism abroad has always existed side by side, comparatively, for less murderous one at home. That's a quote from Joe Emsberger, journalist. And I don't know if you guys follow my like reports weekly, but about two or three, four reports ago, I was talking about how they were working to manufacture consent uh, to start another war with uh iran um and or is it iraq um (laughs) with the taliban like they they gave the taliban a whole bunch of guns and a whole bunch of military equipment and they're like oh no you know they're they overthrew us now but that's just to manufacture consent to start another war um at some point the taliban will become the bad guys again and we'll have to put them in place again um and Like, the way we wage war on socialism across the globe is insane. Uh, The work we are doing in Venezuela and Bolivia, um, where these socialist governments are trying to nationalize oil so that oil profits come back to the people, we have staged coups in these countries so we can actually get the oil profits because we don't want any socialist countries or communist countries Um, in the globe because that is a direct threat to global capitalism. Um, So, (laughs) just like coming back around. Um, it's, It's really, it's interesting, right? Because this is just the same sort of stuff that we see time and time again. Um, if you don't follow any of this deeply, I'm sorry. I'm just like throwing this all of you, all throwing it all at you now, and it's just I'm sure it's overwhelming. Um, but I I need you to know in a happy Halloween spirit <laughs> um, that government surveillance is going far and beyond to actually condemn and go against 
leftist movements. And if you are a liberal right now and you're like, well, that's not me. I don't really care. Well, you know, what if we get another Donald Trump? What if we get another incredibly disturbing president? Right now, they're coming after the leftist movement. But if we keep going further right in our government, they're going to come after you. I don't know what to tell you. They just are. So, like I said earlier, I told you I was going to get through all of this shit and then I was going to tell you about people fighting back. There are people fighting back. Don't lose hope. The Electronic Frontier Foundation. I love these guys. I do, I do, I do. The leading nonprofit defending digital privacy, free speech, and innovation. There's a lot of issues with nonprofits. I understand there is a, a nonprofit like industrial stuff and nonprofits are complicit in the state government as well. I understand. Um, but for now, <laughs> this is one of the best sources that I have seen that is at the front lines of this surveillance stuff. They have surveillance self-defense. They have resources like browser add-ons. There's a thing called Privacy Badger. Um, here are some of the headlines of things that they've written. Copyright regulator eases restrictions on research, education, and repair. Inequitable access, an anti-competitive scheme by textbook publishers. The Internet Archive transforms access to books in a digital world. Europe's Digital Service Act on a Collision Course with Human Rights. Open access fiber networks will bring much-needed high-speed internet service and competition to communities more efficiently and economically. Resisting the menace of face recognition. <laughs> uh, so this is the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Um, they have a whole bunch of stuff on their work, on legal cases, on white papers. They have an action center. Um, so like one of their actions right now is tell Apple, don't scan our phones, take action. Tell the Department of Homeland Security, stop collecting DNA and other biometrics. Tell your representative to support a more intro interoperable <laughs> future. <laughs> um... And then they have like a whole bunch of other campaigns. Tell Congress close the warrantless back door to spy on communications. Um, speak up for strong encryption rules in Congress. Tell Facebook stop silencing Palestine. So if this is along what you want to do, like so there's every every person has a place in the movement. Right. So even if you're like, well, you know, I can't go door knocking or, you know, I can't do X, Y, and Z. I don't have time for whatever. There are small things that you can do. This is an online electronic frontier foundation. All of these actions are online. That could be like 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and will it help? I don't know, but it's worth trying. So if you missed all of that spooky spiel on government surveillance, 
I will be uploading this to uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Just type in Unconventional Journalist and you will find me and I will have the links in there for you. We're going to take a much needed music break and then we're going to get into Texas uh, voting. There are constitutional amendments that Texans are going to be voting on and I'm going to tell you about them so you should vote. And then after that, we're going to dive in some Houston happenings. Um, yeah. All right. Music break. Myself and I'm darkly packed. I know this, so I point at Q-tip and he states, Black is black. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Shovel chestnuts in my path. Just keep all nuts with the nuts so I don't get an aftermath. But if I do, I'll calmly punch them in the fourth day of July. Cause they try to mess with third degree. That's me, myself, and I. 
just me, myself, and I. It's just me, myself, and I. It's just me, myself, and I. Let the ship wreck. I'm in the ocean full of sharks floating on the raft. But I'm an underwater boot. You know that. Sink or swim, sinking ain't in the plan. Catch a wave and try to coast to the land. Got my feet buried in the sand. Got my life like a lifeguard holding your hand. Now I'm back at the beach with my fam and my phone keep ringing. Of those that survive slavery times, you can see it in my eyes. It's in my DNA and bloodline. Common sense, let it know there was a lie. Joe, at the end of the tunnel, sun keep beaming. Run towards the light, I hear the people screaming. Work it out, exercise your demons. Wake those up that were sleeping. Now I'm believing, cold hearted heathens. But I'm immune to the blood sucking leeches. And I didn't hurt on the. Speeches. I'm not impressed with the stock sound speakers. Every film wasn't made to be a feature. And now I greet you with the universal greetings. It ain't about preaching, we all so seeking. Behind enemy lines, I'm a free man. Hope you got the meaning. And we're back. Music is curated by All Real Radio. 
This is Sam Osu, your unconventional journalist. If you missed the first part of my segment, I will be uploading all of this to Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. Just look up unconventional journalist and um, there'll be a replay. The first part of my segment was very focused on uh, spookiness of <laughs> Halloween. And we talked about government surveillance because that shit is scary. Um <laughs> So next up, we're going to get closer to home. We're going to talk about Texas and talk about voting. So my bad, y'all. I did not tell you guys that there is early voting happening. I think the early voting polls closed um, this week. Um, Early voting began October 18th. And um, the last day to vote is November 2nd. So this is not a primary, so you can vote down ballot. Um, if you do that, um, I, uh, electoral politics kind of makes me a little angry, but for those of you who do participate in electoral politics and vote, I do encourage you to vote, um, because it's a thing right now and we should be voting on off years as well. But, um, aside from down ballot, uh, cause it's not a primary, Texans will decide eight proposed amendments to the state constitution on November 2nd. Here's what you need to know. This is a post uh, article from the Texas Tribune by Andrew Zhang. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, so the early voting ended October 29th, um, but election day is November 2nd. So you still have November 2nd. The proposed additions to the Texas Constitution were passed as bills during this year's legislative session, and a majority of voters in the state must approve each amendment before it can be officially added to the Constitution. In 2017, Texas voters approved all seven amendments on the ballot. In 2019, voters greenlighted nine out of ten proposed changes. There are no state elected seats on the ballot this November, Certain local elections may have area-specific positions and initiatives on the ballot, such as school board officials, city council members, maybe even judges. Check what's on your local ballot through vote411.org or by visiting your county's website. Under each proposition, we have included the recommendations from Progress Texas, Texas Freedom Caucus, and the editorial boards of some major newspapers. So, Prop 1. Rodeo raffles. Prop 1 would allow charitable raffles at rodeo events. Unauthorized raffles can be considered illegal gambling under Texas law. In 2015, voters approved a rule to allow charitable raffles at professional sports games. The resulting change created fundraising opportunities for education, cancer research, youth programs, according to amendment analysis. The constitutional amendment on the ballot this November would extend that permission to rodeo events by the Professional Rodeo Cowboy Association or the Women's Professional Rodeo Association. So, um, I mean, that amendment doesn't sound terrible. So quite a bit of like the corporate uh, media outlets, progress taxes, they voted for it the texas freedom caucus voted against it just hearing texas freedom caucus i'm assuming that they are right wing (laughs) 
Um, don't take my word for that because I haven't actually Googled it. So proposition one, rodeo raffles for charitable events. So, I mean, vote for it if you want. Uh, proposition two, tax financing for county infrastructure. This amendment would authorize counties to issue bonds or notes to raise funds for transportation infrastructure in underdeveloped areas. Already, cities and towns have authority to fund projects with this financing method. Counties would repay these bonds by pledging increased property tax revenues, but these funds cannot be used for construction, maintenance, or acquisition of toll roads. I mean, it doesn't sound awful. Um, a lot of people put for it against it is the Texas Freedom Caucus again. My um my only caveat with this where I hesitate is pledging increased property tax revenues. I'm thinking about Houston specifically, Houston, Harris County, Harris County as a whole, even like Galveston County, uh honestly, where um property tax revenues are being funneled into like terses. Um, and are being used to gentrify areas. So pledging increased property tax revenue. So like if you increase the property tax revenue, it's going to increase stuff to that. And uh, property tax revenue always, I, I always have a pause with it because of just how inadequately it is used. Um, and it's always used to further oppress people. Um but it says issue bonds or notes to raise funds for transportation infrastructure in underdeveloped areas. It's not a bad thing, but the increased property tax revenues puts me at a pause. So, but that's prop two. Um, heads up. Prop three. I do not like the prop three. I, uh, okay. Prop three restrictions on religious services. If approved, prop three would ban the state from prohibiting or limiting religious services, including those in churches and other places of worship. This move stems from conflicts over churches that closed during the early months of the pandemic. Some local officials extended stay-at-home orders to include places of worship, requiring them to limit attendance or make services virtual a trend that Abbott and other Republicans pushed out back on. But critics of the proposal worry the change could prevent the government from acting to protect people in future emergencies, such as evacuations and public health emergencies. Um, so this is interesting. The people who are for it is the Dallas Morning News and ordered, uh, da uh, blah, Dallas Morning News editorial board and the Texas Freedom Caucus. <laughs> And then, like, everybody else is against it. Um, and when I say everybody else, the editorial boards for Austin, uh, Fort Worth, Houston Cron, Progress Texas, San Antonio, Express News. Um, I am not a big fan of Prop 3, um, restrictions on religious services. Because, um, I mean, all of these yahoos, all, like, they want, like you know, their church services to go on in the middle of the pandemic, like, nah. <laughs> and like, it's a good point. Like, what about other emergencies in the future? Uh, evacuations and public health emergencies. The churches and the church communities will just be allowed to like do things all willy-nilly? Hell no. Um, proposition four, state judge eligibility. Prop 4 would require candidates to have 10 years of experience practicing law in Texas to be eligible for election to the Texas Supreme Court. 
the Court of Criminal Appeals or Texas Court of Appeals. Currently, the law requires 10 years of experience, but allows for out-of-state experience. Additionally, candidates running to be district judge would need eight years of law practice or judicial experience in Texas court, up from the current requirement of four years. Proponents of the change argue it could create higher quality judiciary, but opponents say the proposed requirements could reduce voter choice and diversity within the candidate poll. In Texas, judges are elected by popular vote. So for it are basically all the liberal newspapers. Against it is Progress Texas and Texas Freedom Caucus is neutral. I, I don't know how I feel about this one. Um, well, in like... <laughs> My feelings are definitely biased because I don't believe in our judiciary system anyway. Um, whether you have 10 years or four years, you're going to be working in a system that is uh, based in white supremacy and is complicit. So um, eh, whatever you guys want. Uh, proposition five, judicial misconduct process. Prop five would allow the state commission on judicial contact, conduct to have oversight of candidates running for judicial seats by accepting complaints or reports, conducting investigations, and reprimanding them. The commission, an independent agency created by the state constitution, already has these powers over judicial office holders. So four is all the liberal newspapers and Texas Freedom Caucus, and against it is Progress Texas. That's interesting. Um... Yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Prop 6, essential caregiver designation. This amendment would allow residents of nursing homes and assisted living facilities to designate one essential caregiver who cannot be denied in-person visitation rights. If the proposition passes, the legislature would create further guidelines for these caregivers. Like Prop 3, Prop 6 also comes as a response to pandemic-era restrictions. Nursing homes, which were hit really hard, saw extended visitation restrictions that prevented residents from seeing family and friends for months. Uh, mm, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I would vote for that one. Um, no one should be denied seeing their family because of their conditions in a nursing home. The, the church one, I think, is completely different because it's churchgoers who have the freedom to not be in a nursing home and they just want to all be in one place. Whereas these nursing home folks, like they already have high rates of loneliness and depression. So, yeah. Um, okay, Prop 7, Property Tax Exemptions for Bereaved Families. Prop 7 would put a limit on school district property taxes incurred by the surviving spouse of a person with disabilities older than 65 who has died. The surviving spouse must be at least 55 years old at the partner's time of death and still live in the home. The amendment uh, is necessary to update the Constitution in accordance with the tax code. The resolution could reduce school district property tax revenue and increase state funding in accordance with Texas public school funding formulas. However, the exact cost of the change cannot be estimated because of the number of surviving spouses is unknown. I mean, that doesn't seem terrible. All of the liberals, the right wing and the progress taxes was on board for it. Prop 8, property tax exemption for military families. 
I mean, <laughs> Prop 8 would expand eligibility for residential homestead tax exemptions to include spouses of military members killed or fatally injured in the line of duty. Currently, the exemption is extended to spouses of military members killed in the action. The new eligibility would include people killed in accidental vehicle crashes or non-hostile events. This exemption would apply to fewer than 10 people per year. I mean, I would vote for yes on that one. Like these poor guys are, poor people are out there um, fighting for U.S. imperialism and they die and, I mean, give give them tax exemptions, whatever. <laughs> so that's the lineup. Those are the eight different props. I will be linking this when I upload the audio to Spotify or where else you get your uh, podcasts when you search unconventional journalist. So that voting the last day, the only day to vote now is November 2nd. We're going to take a short music break and then we're going to dive into two Houston things. short music break. So we talked about a lot of things today. (laughs) Talked about government surveillance and keeping with the spooky edition of today's report because government uh, surveillance is terrifying. And um, like, I mean, they're, (laughs) they know neo-Nazis are the problem, but they're targeting leftists. Like it's insane. Um, And then we brought it a little closer to home with Texas. There is voting happening We uh, talked about the props uh, that are being voted on. The uh, last day to vote, the only day to vote at this point now is November 2nd. Um, So now we're bringing it back even closer to home with Houston. So I'm sorry, the news I'm about to tell you is a little bit old. It's 10 days old. I should have talked about it on my last report, but I didn't because it got lost in my inbox. But I am talking about it today because it's really fucking exciting. Uh, Houston Metro workers celebrate historic contract. Metro Workers Union celebrate uh, the Transport Workers Union Local 260 credits effective organizing for delivering win for workers. 
Uh, Transport Workers Union Local 260 announced the ratification of the largest transport worker contract in Texas history. Uh, TWU Local 260 President Horace Marv said, Our members work hard and they deserve nothing but the very best. We're proud to have negotiated this historic contract, which will mean more money in our members' paychecks every week, more job security, and more dignity on the job every day. The three-year, $84 million contract is the largest ever negotiated by Metro or any other transit authority in Texas. Workers will see up to a 17% pay increase over the course of the contract, the largest raises in Metro history. After negotiations were completed at the beginning of October, the contract went to a membership vote where it was overwhelmingly approved by a margin of over 95%. Local 260 leadership credits their organizing work for the successful negotiations. The union, which represents Metro employees, has grown by over 200% in the past five years. This is the fruit of years of hard work, said Marvs. We're stronger than we've ever been because we've hit the ground every day. We believe in this union and the power that we have when we stand together. So if you're a Houston Metro worker and, you know, you're part of this, congratulations. That's so exciting. If you take the Metro, um, you know, be be kind. I mean, be kind all the time, but like be extra kind and celebratory because like, hell yeah. Yeah. Love to see it. So the last piece of Houston stuff that I got for you today is Houston Tenants Union crowd fundraiser. So the Houston Tenants Union, I, I, if you don't follow my reports, if this is like the first time you're coming around, I do report on them quite often because they are doing shit. Um, they have, so I'm going to read some stuff from their, um, from their fundraiser. Let me uh, get to, uh, um, in 2019, the Thicket Apartments in Greens Point area became our first campaign. Tenants from across Houston helped deliver the demands of 50 residents to the leasing office of the Northwest Houston Apartment Complex. The Thicket provided us with our first experience of large-scale collective action, and our organizing efforts resulted in some hard-fought and meaningful concessions from the apartment managers. Uh, HTU pressed on organizing smaller campaigns such as D- Justice for Rashid where they supported a single tenant's fight against deposit theft. Campaigns for Rashid, Justice for Nico, Justice for Tammy resulted in most or all of these tenants' deposit being returned to them. Um, after Winterstorm Yuri, they organized their largest campaign so far, the rent strike at Villas de Paseo. No water, no rent became the rallying cry for Villas de Paseo tenants who demanded repairs and restitution after being forced to live without running water for weeks while still paying rent. Their plans for their future. And we want to continue organizing with Houston area tenants, mobilizing effectively for both long-term and rapid response campaign. They want to continue promoting class consciousness and tenant empowerment through their free public organizing and training courses, which they had one today. Uh, it was between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. They do have these frequently. So if you follow them on social media, Houston Tenants Union, you can see these organizing models and learn from them. Um... So they are having a fundraiser. Right now they have $2,846, and they're looking to raise $15,000. 
their donation, the donations, half of the proceeds will go directly to Emma Danyuka Solidarity Fund, which is a financial reserve that will directly aid the tenants we organize with when their homes are in jeopardy. Um, the other half of the proceeds will be put into the HTU Organizational Fund. This pool of funds will go towards assisting the union, its organizers, in creating campaigns, executing campaigns, booking a space for monthly meetings, and maintaining digital tools they adopted during COVID to organize, such as, like, you know, Zoom. Uh, <laughs> and maybe one day they will be able to afford a permanent physical office space for a community to organize in as well. So... The Houston Tenants Union is completely lit. Um, if you miss some of like the strike, there was a literal rent strike in Houston. Um, I did write about it and report on it, and you can find that in like my link tree under like articles and past reports. Also, I went live for all of that for status quo. Um, it was it was great. So I'm about to air their promotional video. I'm sick of these late fees. I'm sick of being pushed around. And they, and they broke into my apartment. And then she lied and said that I didn't tell her that they broke into my apartment. I'm sick of this broken AC. No, you shouldn't have to go home and see fucking mold on your AC unit. And I'm sick of these rent hikes. I was not able to complete the move-in process due to unsafe and uninhabitable conditions. Are you one paycheck from being thrown out? Are you done living in fear? Are you fed up yet? This is my final appeal to you to fix these problems. No more evictions. No more deposit thefts. No more dodging my repairs. No more being pushed out for condo. We can build a union of tenants across Houston. Everybody's tired, whether it's Texas, New York, whatever state. We can stand up for one another in self-defense. We can be stronger together than we are alone. We can be loud. Power! Power! We can be heard. For a better world for everyone. And for more control of our own destiny. For our dignity, our health, and well-being. For an organization for tenants by tenants so that my landlords have no choice but to listen so that we can raise our children in peace so that we can be safe from violence and houselessness because we're done with our landlord because this is houston we got a plan we got to be organized because we believe in tenant power power and because the rent is too damn high because an injury to one of us is an injury to all is an injury to all is an injury to all we need to go out there. We need to fucking demand. We're not key to ask. Problems with your landlord or property managers? Contact us to organize and fight back. 281-836-0331 or HoustonTenantsUnion at gmail.com. So, um... And if you're not in Houston, you're like, I'm, I'm not in Houston. The Houston Tenants Union does not apply to me. They are working on organizing outside of Houston, Pasadena, Katy, all around. Like there's people in Galveston who are interested. Um, just, just contact them. Uh, they do have their organizing trainings and there is power in collective movement I know it doesn't feel like it, but there is. You're not alone. You're not alone in any of this late-stage capitalist hellscape. Whether you're living like from paycheck to paycheck, dealing with our disgusting jail, prison system, the judiciary system, 
you're about to get evicted, you're fighting a freeway, um, you're not alone in any of it. So please don't forget that. You'll have a lovely fucking day. It is so nice outside, y'all. Situation, I be glad. Fertism make my fin I be glad to make an exception. You say I'm stopping and I never give in. I think you stop and sip your heart with softening. You say I'm selfish, I agree with you on that. I think you're giving up the way too much, in fact. I said we both ain't on each other. Thank you.